0: So I'll be reading uh, Exodus six twenty-eight through Exodus 7, 7. On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I'm the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I'm telling you. But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, since I'm such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord answered Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh.
1: You may be seated. Yes, as always, let's do a little bit of praying this morning as you're sitting down, getting our hearts right and ready to hear what God has got for each and every single one of us this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. and You pray with me this morning. So God, we thank you. Thank you, God, that we could be here this morning. Can you pray something like that? Open my spiritual eyes and ears. God, help me to see what I need to see and hear what I need to hear from your word this morning. Open my spiritual eyes and ears. God, reveal to me anything that stands between me and you. Remove all the distractions this morning and help me focus in on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So why do we struggle sometimes to obey God? That's a question that I've got this morning. For every single one of us, at times, you know, it's a little easier to obey God in some areas of our life. And then for all of us, then there's these other areas of our life that sometimes it's not quite so easy to trust and obey God. So as we talk about love, trust, and obedience this morning, Richard Baxter has got some really good advice for us. This is what he says. This is a 16th century preacher. He said this. He said, to increase your obedience in the Lord, keep your eyes upon his greatness and continual presence and providence. Are we seeing something about the providence of God, the book of Exodus? Man. So keeping my eyes focused on his greatness, his goodness, And God's providence, do you believe in God's providence this morning? This will keep you in an obedient frame of mind. Now, so great a God cannot be disobeyed without great iniquity, great sin and guilt. A God that is continually with you must be continually regarded. Man, do we struggle with that? I mean, like to realize that God is always with us. I mean, if I could just stay focused on that. Every temptation is an urge for you to offend so great a God. Now, Christ is your God to bring you safely home. Sin is a rejecting of his help and your happiness. That's what Richard Baxter said. So he said, don't ever, you know, it's kind of like we talk about living under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. So it's like when I decide to sin, it's like this umbrella's over my life. It's like I decide to step aside from under his kingdom authority rule. And whenever I do that, then then I'm saying I'm willingly stepping aside from his help and his protection over my life. It's like I'm going to be my own God now. I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing. And whenever I do that, then I'm exposing myself to dangerous territory, going off in dangerous areas of my life. So we've got to redo our paradigm this morning. As far as obedience is concerned, then why do I struggle to trust and obey God? So here's the first fill-in on your outline this morning. At the foundation, the very beginning of my obedience, that's love right there. I mean, if I've got the, if I'm loving God, then I'm not struggling with obedience. That's why we got love, trust, and obedience. At the foundation of love is trust. If you truly Trust someone; it's much easier to love them, right? right. If you really love someone, it's easier for you to trust them. And those kind of go. If you you ever love someone and they broke your trust, it's kind of hard to love after that, isn't it? So I mean, like, hey, listen, let's just let's talk about this. Just even not as our relationship with God's concerned, but our relationship with one another is concerned. That whenever we break that trust, you got people that you love dearly. You got people that love you dearly. How important is that trust that you've got rolling between the two of you today that is vital? Listen, make no mistake about it. The enemy wants that trust broken. We'll do everything he can to get that trust broken and then to get your flesh to agree that it is the right thing. And that's all a side note, Philippians 1.9. Look at what Paul says at the Church of Philippi. He says, and I pray. So here's what he's praying for them. I pray this. That your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now here's my problem. Growing up in this church culture that we have all around us, when I read that, I think God wants me to grow in my knowledge. And then what he said. That your love will keep on growing. That's primary. That's first. Now, is knowledge important? Yes, it's important. But more important than, than knowledge is love because if I've got all the knowledge, that doesn't mean I'm going to be obeying God. But, man, if I'm growing in my love, that's a whole different thing. Now, I'm, we don't have time to break down the whole Greek sentence here, but for those of you who love the Greek, let me just show you something. I will skip all the way down to wherever when it says that you will keep on growing. And that's right here. This right here, this, this epe, this, this ete right here, what this means is that it's always in time in front of you. The time in front of you that you are, look at what it says. Look at this Greek word right here. When you've got the keep on. Two words. Do you see those are saying right there? Malon kaya, Malon, growing and growing. And then right here is periasan. Periasan means superabounding. That your that your love will be growing and growing and superabounding. to put that in English. But man, I mean, like this he's praying that for the church of Philippi, that the thing inside of you, your love for God. This growing and growing out in front of you right now, is super, it's just growing like you've never known that it could grow. Because if we have got that going in the right direction, then my trust and my obedience is not the problem. If I'm having a problem with trusting and obeying God, then I'm having a problem right here with love. That is my struggle. See, the world that we live in tells us that you are what you think. You ever heard that before? I mean, I've heard that my whole life. Heard that in church even. You are what you think. However, the Bible is teaching me that you are what you love. You, you tell me what you love, and you're pretty much telling me who you are. I mean, that's essential right there. It's like, so when we talk about our relationship with God, don't misunderstand something this morning. We don't come here this morning to go through a religious activity to learn more Only. We come here this morning that whenever we learn more about God and about his attributes, that our affections for him will be stirred and that we will grow deeper in our love for him. Because if we're growing in our love for God, then then our obedience and all these other things that all of us struggle with, man, that's all, listen, it's gonna make a big difference because I'm moving from the right paradigm this morning. So when I ask you this morning, why did you come to church? I mean, if it's, Anything aside from communing and worshiping and loving God, that I'm coming with a whole wrong intent. Okay, so listen, I, I I used to go to church. Just my whole purpose in going to church was that my week would go better. Yeah. Am I the only one in the church this morning that did that? <laughs> Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy or something? I just I just want my week to go better. I mean, if you go back to high school, I just wanted to play football and basketball. I thought if I actually thought if I went to church, I'd play football and basketball better, be a better athlete. <laughs> Man, I sure am glad somebody didn't sit down and tell me the truth. Because <laughs> I may not keep on going to church. But listen, God is so gracious. Hey, let me tell you something. You coming to church this morning, there's no promise that your, work, your week will go better. But here's what the promise is. The promise is this, that you will be able to cope better with what this week has in store for you. You'll rejoice more in the good, and you'll be able to cope better with the struggles. That's what God gives us, okay? That's what this whole relationship with the Lord is all about. The heart, man, is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Man, so glad that's in the Bible because I really struggle with my heart. Romans 3, 10, 11 says, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one, there is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks in and of myself. I can't, I can't grow in my love for God if it's just up to me and up to my heart. It's, uh, once, hey, can I, I'm just gonna say this every single time we come to church, this is not about behavior modification. It's not about you behaving yourself into a better place. It's about your love relationship with the Lord. It's about your heart being transformed. And when your heart's transformed, your behavior will change as a result. So we got to shift this, get it back. Oh, hey, look, Romans doesn't end there. Look at this. Here's what it says. If you were looking at that verse before, that was Romans 3, 10, 11. Now look at this, 22, 24. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't earn it. To all who believe. So are you believing in Jesus this morning? I mean, is he your Lord? Do you believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Is he your Lord and your Savior? Yes. Then here's what it says right here then. The righteousness of God has come to you because you're in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good. You don't have to perform your way into this. It isn't about you getting there and getting. God saying, oh, wow, you're so good, I'm going to give you. No. It's that before we were good, and God loved us even while we were still sinners that Christ died for us to all who believe since there is no distinction for for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is that true yeah. is the Bible true this morning have all of us sinned and fall short yes look at this they are justified that means I'm putting right standing with God they're justified freely <laughs> by His grace grace is unearned gift that God has given you that's worth coming to church for right there You should feel better already if you're in Christ. They're justified freely by His grace through the redemption buying us back. That is in Christ Jesus. We could just shut down the whole church service right there and we done got the gospel. There it is right there. There is the gospel once again. Our hearts, our loves have got to be transformed and changed, that true north right there. My heart isn't naturally turned true north to God. My heart is naturally turned true south. It's desperately wicked. There's got to be a transformation that takes place in here. There's got to be a recalibration of my heart to go true north every single day. That's why we talk about what's the importance of you reading your Bible and praying every single day. Because what this does, this recalibrates our hearts. Gets our hearts going back to true north, back to God, back to the thing that I need the most. Because this world will wear you out. And the sad thing is, is that, listen, listen, we have to understand something. In Christ Jesus, my problem is not the devil. He's already defeated. In Christ Jesus, my problem is my position. If I can just stay close to Jesus as I possibly can, he's already defeated the devil. The problem is, is that I'm living in a world and my flesh, they're all working together to get me turned away from true north. That's why I've always got to be reading the Bible and praying, listen, once again, not behavior modification. I'm doing this because I'm wanting my love for the Lord to be stirred and to grow. And if I do it for any other reason, I'm missing the whole point going to church, worshiping, praying, reading my Bible. Whatever you want to put it, I'm missing the whole point there. All right, here we go. On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am Yahweh. That's all caps. I am Yahweh, the personal name of God. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I'm telling you. Ah, But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, since I'm such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh ever listen to me? Have we heard this before? This is the third time he said this, right? I mean, for a guy that claims that he can't speak very well, he sure is doing a lot of talking, isn't he? It's like... We get the same excuse over and over and over again from Moses. Here's the thing, hey listen, please hear this this morning. And it is actually this thing, this excuse that he's making that actually qualifies him. The fact that he's not a good speaker. I mean, God didn't step back and go, oh hey Moses, you know, you're right, you do kinda have a problem there, don't you? I can get somebody else. He actually gets the good speaker, Aaron, sends him but says, now Moses, you still got the position. You still got the calling. As a matter of fact, because some of you right now, the reason that you sidestep serving the Lord, and not just talking about in church. I'm not trying to get you to serve more in the church. We want you to do that. That's great. I'm talking about you serving the Lord where you live, where you work, and in your home. The reason many times we sidestep that is because we've got these excuses. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't pray enough. I'm not a very good person. And here's what I'm telling you. It's actually those things that qualify you. Does that does that sound backwards to you? It's because the Bible pretty much no no let me put it this way. Because the world is pretty much backwards from the Bible. The Bible's going the right direction. And our world's going the wrong. And listen, you know. It blows my mind. Listen, we do this. And I say we, I I am included. We hire people in the church that are qualified. Nothing wrong with that. However, the most unqualified people in the Bible are the ones that got used the most. So the next time you're on some kind of a search committee at a church and you've got all these qualifications, hey, listen, the first thing you need to be doing is praying. I mean, I did not meet the qualifications to take this job, by the way. I mean, they, when, they, when they sat down, they wondered how some has a seminary education. I do not have a seminary education. And I barely squeaked in on the whole age thing, too. They're like, y'all look for that's not over 50 years old. I was 48 years old when I took this church. <laughs> so you're not qualified? And I'm asking yeah. you about whose standards. Yep. Now, see, the world may tell you that you are disqualified, your family may tell you you're, you're unqualified. But see, My question to you is, what's the Lord saying? If he's calling you to do something, then it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. Then the Lord answered to Moses, see I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your brother. Now, you want me to tell you what the Bible says? Because listen, it's real easy to just take If we're going to go verse by verse and let's just say what the Bible says, then here's what I want to tell you this morning. Listen to me, church. I see some of y'all lost you. Come on back for a second. Come on back in. You got to hear this. If we go verse by verse through the Bible, then here's what the Bible's going to do. The Bible will prove us wrong. Sooner or later, it will prove us wrong. There's something that you and I are believing and we will be proved wrong. Now, what cherry picking verses for me to get out here and get in to preach you my sermons that are, that, are, that are built upon what I believe and what I think or my denomination tells me I need to think, I can cherry-pick verses all over the place and just never call into question anything that I believe. But if we're just going to go verse by verse and be faithful to the text, then here's what I can promise you. Every single one of us will be proved wrong sooner or later. And the Bible's right. That's right. So, my question for you is: Do you want me to tell you what the Bible says? If you say yes, tell me what the Bible says. Then here's what I'm going to tell you: That is not in the Bible. "Locks" not in there. He says, "I have made you God to Pharaoh." See now, you read that and you're like, "Man, that's there's only one God. How can God say that?" Okay, good. I'm glad you asked that question. This is why, because this word right here, that's not Yahweh. That's Elohim. If you remember, we went back. There's a whole lot of Elohim's in in Egypt. Pharaoh thinks he's an Elohim. That's a God. You can put a little G God on that, actually, if you wanted to. There's times that the Bible talks, refers to men as Elohim, just like it refers to men as Lord. Okay? So this is not, see, Yahweh is God's personal name. This is the Almighty God, the one and only. He's God, and none of the rest of us are God. What he says is, I'm going to go make you Elohim to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh thinks he's Elohim. Pharaoh thinks he is it. He says, you are going to be Elohim to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. Your big brother, by the way. Once again, out of order for what we think it should be, his big brother. Because here's what, in in Egypt, if you thought you were an Elohim, then you had prophets. So what happens here is is that God's going to mess with Pharaoh's mind and his heart. He's going to bring Moses in here, and Moses is going to have his prophet. Moses will not even speak. Aaron will speak on his behalf. So this is going to be tick- Listen, Pharaoh got mad up one side and down the other about every aspect of this. The one, any part of this, Pharaoh stepped back and said, "Man, this is really good. I'm glad you're coming and telling me what your God's saying. I'm glad that you're that you're being God over me. That you got a prophet speaking. This is. I'm glad you're doing this. Nothing about this. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. You've been going week by week with me. Has Moses went into Pharaoh already? He has, hasn't he? He went and preached this same sermon. And what was the result of that sermon? Brick without straw, more labor, harder work. All the Israelites turned against Moses. And God comes back to Moses and said, oh, hey, you know that sermon that you preached that failed? Go preach it again. You must say whatever I command you. Well, that's tough right there. You may think, oh, that's that's easy, man. God commands you to say something, you say it. No, no, listen. It's easy when everybody agrees with you. When God tells you to say something that you know that most of the people, if not everybody, is going to disagree with you, that's what it, that changes the whole paradigm right there. Then it's going to come down to do I love, do I trust, and if I do those, then I can obey. Because I know that if God told me that this is a message i got to go with to these people, then I can preach it, I can say it, I can tell it, I can do it. God's in control of the results. Whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother, must declare to Pharaoh... So that he will let the Israelites go from the land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Hmm. Love, trust, and obedience. It all comes from the heart. The heart's the most important thing right here. That's not about changing Pharaoh's mind. Pharaoh's heart is hard. And you may, listen, we read that, man, that's not fair. God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Okay, so here's, if you say that's not fair, then here's what I would suggest you do. Go back and read Exodus chapter one. And you'll see there what Pharaoh doing at the very beginning. He's having all of the Hebrew kids killed, male sons killed and thrown in the Nile River. So I mean, like, man, this dude right now, he's already moving off in a wicked, evil way. And so when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then here's the good news in that for you today. Only God can soften someone's heart. Your words can't change anybody's heart. Only God can change their heart. God can use your words by his empowerment to change somebody's heart. No one ever got saved, really genuinely saved on the face of the earth because somebody talked them into it. They got saved because God's Holy Spirit moved in their heart. And we, we get all excited think that we had something to do with this and God's one had 100%. We just got to join him in what he's doing i and listen, I will, and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So the purpose in, in hardening Pharaoh's heart is that God can show how strong he is. Uh, now listen, see, here's, here's, here's our problem today. And I'm in this with you. It's the problems that we go through today. We don't realize the reason we're in this struggle is so that God can show himself strong. Because yes. if life was always easy, if life always went the way that we wanted it to, then we don't need God. Pharaoh will not listen to you. There's good news for you, Moses. Your sermon will fail again. <laughs> Promise you this much. But I will put my hand, my God, my power into Egypt and bring, them, bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Wait a second. There's no military. <laughs> These are slaves. How can he say, I'm going to bring... The military divisions of my people the Israelites out of the land of how can he say they're all, they don't have got a military in there how can he say that how can he say a military is coming out when they're all slaves in there because here's the situation for us today listen I, I read this commentators tripped and fell all over that and I'm not saying I'm smarter than them I'm not saying I know something that they don't know I'm just telling you this much that whenever you are in Christ Jesus you are in a war you don't, get, you don't get to go, ah, I'm not going to be in any war. It, bad news is you're in a war. Yeah. Good news is the war's already been won. Yeah. Then he's already, he stands defeated. It's, I mean, you say, man, you, you're telling me, David, today I don't have any battles. No, no, you still got the flesh. You still got the world. You still got the temptations, all that. This, all, but he is, def- he has lost. The only reason we ever let him have any ground is because we choose to let him have ground in our life. That's our choice. Look at this. This is New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, 11 and 12. Are you familiar with the, with the armor of God? This is, comes right after that whole section about the armor of God. That's what it says. Put on the full armor of God, right in the church at Ephesus, so that you can stand against the schemes, because he's got schemes to get you discouraged, get you messed up, get you out of the game. Verse 12. For our struggle, our war, is not against flesh and blood. Oh man, somebody preached that this morning, okay? I need that priest this morning. You're not fighting somebody else. You think somebody else is your problem, they are not your problem. But against the rulers, and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this this darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens, so there's a spiritual warfare, you think it's that person, and you think that you need to win against that person. That's what we think, but it's not against that person, it is against the spirits that are working in the background that we don't even see. So when you say, Marching them out in the military forces. Why is this? Because the battle lines, battle lines have been drawn. The battle line between God and Pharaoh. Between God's children, Israel, and the nation Egypt. Just like the battle drawn, battle, listen, between God's children and the world. See, that's our problem today. And listen, when I say our problem, I'm saying all of us. Our problem that the, that our churches today Our preachers today are in love with the world. And when we love the world, we propagate the world stuff right through our church and we, we tag it as something that's Christian, something that's biblical, and it's not. The Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. That's gonna get good, by the way. This story just gets better from here, okay? There will come a day when they will all know that he's Yahweh. They will know his personal name. There will come a day whenever Pharaoh will say, get out, get all your gold and everything, give it to them. They're shoveling it out in the streets and say, come take everything we got, just get out of here. When I stretch out my yod, my hand, my power against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them so Moses and Aaron did this they did just as the Lord commanded them they are being obedient so here's my question right here in reading this why is Moses and Aaron being obedient at this point because here's the situation Moses has not developed a very close relationship with the Lord yet all he's seen is a burning bush. He's seen the staff turn into a snake, and he's seen just a few miracles. I mean, we're early on. It's, he's got a lot of growing and developing that he needs to do before he gets to the point to where he needs to be where God wants him to be. So why is he obeying at this point? So here's what I'm present to you. I don't know. Doesn't say. Bible doesn't say. Here's what I'm wondering, though. I'm wondering if he's not obeying to stay out of trouble. Because that's what we do. We either obey because we love or we obey because we don't want to be punished let me ask you something you parents would you rather your children obey you because they love you or because they're afraid of being punished it's a big difference between the two isn't there and, and the one that's that obeys you because they love you you don't have to watch over them very carefully do you because it comes from their heart our children are our best theology teachers by the way so whenever I'm obeying the Lord and it's out of a heart that loves him, that wants to obey him, that's a total different story than obeying cause I don't wanna be punished or I don't wanna be disciplined or I don't wanna get in trouble or I don't wanna suffer, whatever you put on there. So Moses was a young man, he was only 80 years old and Aaron was only 83 when they got their assignment from the Lord to go speak to Pharaoh. Look at this, and listen, once again, We'd say they're disqualified, they're too old. We'd write them off, say we can't have them going in there. Let's. At 40 years old, Moses was ready, remember that? 40 year, remember at 40 years old, what he did? He killed the Egyptian that was beating the, the Hebrew. I mean, He was ready at that point, man, he was a man's man, he was strong, he was powerful, I'll do this on my own. And he had to go 40 years the backside of the wilderness eating humble pie for breakfast, lunch, and dinner before he really got ready. You ever had humble pie? You ever had it every meal for years? Boy, it will change your heart. Not your mind, it will change your heart. And now 80 years old, the last people we think should be getting sin in, the 80 and 83, look what the Bible says about this. Our lives last 70 years. Man, my mom, she lives with us. She's 86 years old. She's on borrowed time, praise the Lord. Anybody in your family above that, look at what the Bible says. Our last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them struggle. Maybe here, 80, are you kidding me? We're not getting this. You would think God would send somebody else than an 80 and 83-year-old man to go and do this. So can I circle back around once again and tell you that your excuse doesn't hold up with God over why you can't? I'm telling you, your excuse is actually what qualifies you bring it to me whatever excuse you got I don't bring it to me I will show you from the Bible somebody that did either what you're doing have done or worse Moses was a murderer the Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament he murdered Christians before his conversion so I mean I'll tell you what man our excuse is don't hold water with God so life transforming obedience Man, I mean, like, the the obedience that's coming from a heart that's being transformed, man, I mean, that's like, this is changing my life. Anybody with me this morning? Is your life being changed by the Holy Spirit this morning, by God Almighty? Is it happening in your life today? Then this is what it is. Look at this. This true, right, love, trust, and obey. It's motivated by love. Here's what, look at the 1 John 5, 3. For this is what, this is what love for God is to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. Man, because when I'm loving, those commandments are good. I love doing them. I love following the commands of Jesus. Number two, they're energized by joy. The church at Corinth, Paul's writing to them, and he's telling them about the church at Macedonia. He said that, look at this, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, the Macedonian church, in abundant joy, Severe trial, abundant joy, and their extreme poverty. They were out of money. They had no resources, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord. They begged us earnestly. So what happens is is that the churches of Macedonia, they come to Paul, and they're, they're they're wanting to give Paul money for the church of Corinth to start up the gospel there. And here, evidently, Paul's like, "No, no, no! I'm not going to. Can't take this. Y'all are already in poverty. Y'all are out of money," and they begged him. Look at this, and they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Enjoy. They weren't like, "Hey, yeah, you know, we're out. We're out of money. We don't have anything." It's like, "No, let us give. Let us give." That's what energized by joy is. Even though they were in affliction, they were filled with joy. Life-transforming obedience is glorifying to God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory. Can you do everything for the glory of God? That's hard to do, though, isn't it? It really is. I mean, like, there's some things that I do that I'm like, I don't know if I'm bringing God glory in this, you know? I mean, like, when the Dallas Cowboys are winning, I see I'm glorifying God. When they're losing, I'm not glorifying God. You know what I mean, like, it's, it is, there, there's some things that I do that I'm like, I'm not sure that this is glorifying to God, so I gotta look, how do I know? How do I know if what I'm doing is bringing glory to God? This right here. Man, listen, if when I get done, if I'm exhausted, wore out, and angry, that was not glorifying to God. Right. If when I'm done, I'm refreshed, renewed, and filled up, that is glorifying to God. Number three, it's naturally consistent. No one has to force me to do obedience, life transforming. No one's got to force you to do that. Look at this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So what he's saying right here is like there's Olympic athletes today that'll be training. They train seven days a week, year in and year out, to get ready for the Olympics. He said, they do that for, they work put all that work in for a crown that they get that's going to fade away. It's temporary. But he's saying, listen, our discipline, our natural obedience, that thing that we do there, that's for a crown that will never, ever fade. Do you not think that when we get to heaven, we're going to have some regrets? Man, that's a frightening thing to me. I I know I will not have to pay for my, my sins, but I will give an account for all of the deeds I've done in the flesh, whether good or bad. My rewards that I've got for what I've done here and now with the right motives. That will carry over into eternity forever and ever. and e- I mean, like I can't imagine being on that day and be like thinking, oh, well, you know, I did the best of good, God. <laughs> Just glad I got in. <laughs> Don't think that's going to happen. I think on that day, man, that I'm going to be, it's going to wear me out. I think I passed up on so many opportunities because my heart wasn't tuned in the right direction. It wasn't tuned to, to true north to the Lord. It was tuned to myself. And this world, and this world is coming to an end. It's filled with humility. Transforming obedience, it's always going to be filled with humility. Look at this, Colossians 2, 20 through 23. You have died with Christ, thank God. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. What we just read a while ago about those spiritual powers, you've been set free from them. No, because they lost Oh, that's good. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Man, I wish somebody could tell me. Such as, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. So they were having problems in Colossae and all these New Testament churches. It was primarily about some of the meats that they were eating there. And they were making all these extra rules and saying, well, if you're really Christian, if you're really saved, you're really godly, you won't do this, you won't do that, you won't smell so much, you won't touch it, you won't taste it. They're adding to works, salvation legalism. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate and as we use them. 23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, humility, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires, no transformation of the heart. You struggle. You struggle with pornography. Your hearts need to be listen, that's a heart problem. It's not a behavioral problem. You struggle with drugs, alcohol? That's a heart problem. Not that you need to modify your behavior. I mean you struggle with a foul mouth. That's not behavior modification. That's a heart problem. You struggle with evil thoughts? It's a heart problem. This is why we need our hearts transformed, whatever it may be. It's not about modifying your behavior so you'll be acceptable to God. If you're in Christ, you're already accepted. It's moving your position closer to Jesus. Man, when I get closer to Jesus, the closer I am to Jesus, the less heart problem I have. Let me ask you something. Have you ever really loved someone? And really, truly loved someone? If you have, then you know that when you truly love someone, you will sacrifice for them, and you'll be glad to do it. It's no longer about what you're getting and you're not getting, it's all about you giving. You have no problem with being obedient and doing the things you need to do when you truly love someone. That's just a reflection of what it means for us to truly love God, to really love Jesus like we should. When we get to that point, we have no problem with trying to behave right. It's going to be changing our heart. When that heart gets changed, man, it just naturally flows then. So how do we cultivate our love for God? If this love is so important, then how do I do that? Three more points here on your outline. I know it's going to be shocking to you, but I'm going to say pray. (laughs) We must pray that we will see the goodness of God and that our affections for God will be stirred. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and persistent in prayer. Always praying. If I'm not praying, then my love for God is not going to be growing. If I'm not praying, my heart is not going to be transformed. Going to church, I can go to church, I can listen to all the sermons I want to listen to, I can do all the devotions I want to do, but if I don't pray, my heart will not be Transformed. I can, listen, I can gain all the Bible knowledge in the world. And if I'm not praying, then all I'm going to do is I'm just going to get mean about what I know about the Bible. Right. Fellowship. Ah, oh, listen. You don't have to go to church go to heaven, do you? No. You don't, but boy, it'll make a trip a whole lot easier, though. <laughs> we are the body of Christ, connected together to encourage, strengthen, correct. Let me ask you something. You ever been strengthened and encouraged by the body of Christ? The church, correct and assist one another as we grow together in Christ Jesus. I know, every, just start right here and just go right down the roads. And every single person that's been in church, we've been hurt by people in church. And and here's what I can tell you once again. I can tell you, I promise you this much. You get involved in church in the future, church people will hurt you. Because we're not perfect. None of us are perfect, man. We don't have it all together. We, we, this is not a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church because we've got imperfect people in it. But it's not about me not ever getting hurt. And listen, can you love someone without ever getting hurt? I mean, you just walk every day and say, well, I'm just going to go love five people and I'll never get hurt. Oh, really? See how that works out. <laughs> and you can't be in a loving relationship in the body of Christ and not get hurt. So if you come in here today and you think, oh, wow, well, I finally found that place where I won't get hurt. Let me just go ahead and bust that bubble right now. No, you haven't. We just like all the, we just, we messed up too. But here's what I can tell you though. You're in, a, you're in a body of Christ where people love you and will serve you and will help you and encourage you as you exercise your gifts and as you grow. Man, there's a bunch of kids over there right now that are getting gospelized, you know, and they're enjoying coming to church and being gospelized right now. There's kids in your nursery that are, that are there's, there's, there's men around this whole building right now. There's a whole bunch of them on the other side of that room. Right there, you can't see them. They're making sure you're staying safe. They're highly trained. They train themselves to make sure that this is the safest place in Van Zandt County. Other places have come here and looked at our security and been like, wow. Man, y'all, y'all's team is great. Now, listen. Once again, here I am building up our church. I know. you expect that from the preacher? Huh? You want to get me to tell how great your church is? Shocking. The preacher's talking about how great his church is. But here's what I'm telling you. what We're not perfect but we're trying and our our whole heart is just what you see right here is just show you what the Bible says and we know that the only thing that's going to change you is God not us we're just trying to keep you safe your kids safe gospelize all that at the same time is that fair enough is that too much bragging (laughs) communion and that's not this communion right here okay this is good. We'll be doing this in just a moment. When I talk about communing, I'm talking about when I sit down and I pray, every morning when I sit down to pray and to read my Bible, I've got to redirect my heart, recalibrate my heart. God, help me tune into you, that this is just me going through the motions. So I've got, listen, we must be intentional in our time with God to make it an act of love. Man, look at this. In Psalms, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Man, if I could just get to that point every single day, then, man, the trusting and obeying is going to come automatically. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. Peter, Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, man, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're a prophet. You're Elijah and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus asked them poignantly, said, but who do you say that I am? Peter stands up and says, and you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Essentially, we're saying you are God. Jesus says, man, Peter, best answer ever. And here's what I can tell you. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven, he gave you that answer. Then he turns around and he tells the disciples, now, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to suffer and be crucified. And Peter, man, he's feeling all good. He's all bowled up, locking himself right now, okay? He's like, man, far be it from you, Lord. They'll never go in there, and they'll never take your life. They'll never do that. And he turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. He goes from saying, and that's inspired of God, to the next sentence saying, like, get behind me, Satan. Is that rough? that's hard and that's strong isn't it he said man you don't have in mind the things of god but the things of man and i can just see old peter i boat up there that'll never happen to you get behind me satan oh just kind of wilt right down there oh i wonder not expecting i here i don't hear that peter said hey listen you understand something on this night before tomorrow morning before the rooster crows two times you will deny three times that you even know me peter said uh-uh, not me all the rest of these dudes, they may do that, but I'll never do. I'll die before I do that. And then that night, they came, the Praetorian Guard. They came out to arrest Jesus. Did Peter mean what he said? You better believe it. They came out there. He pulled a sword out. When he chopped that dude's ear off, I mean, listen, he was not trying to cut his ear off. He was trying to hit him right on top of the head and split that helmet open and bring him his life to an end. So, don't think that he wasn't serious about that. He just wasn't good with the sword and he missed, hit the ear. (laughs) Jesus puts the ear back on. And then, some of the most, the saddest words in the Bible, Peter followed at a distance. Man, how many times has that got me in trouble? Right into the high priest's courtyard, he was sitting with a servant warming himself by a fire. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maids a girl that servant, a nobody in their culture. No clout, no authority came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, man, you're also with Jesus, the man of Nazareth, weren't you? But Peter denied it. I don't know. I don't understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and the rooster crowed. Mm. That should be your first warning, brother. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell the other standing there, man, this... This is one of them. But, but he, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. And then he started to curse and swear. <laughs> After three years, man, he saw Jesus walk on water. He saw him heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead back to life again. He started to curse and swear. He said, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, rooster crowed the second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. Let me tell you this. He, this isn't because he didn't love Jesus. Don't misunderstand this and think, the reason Peter did this, because he lacked love for Jesus. He loved Jesus dearly. But at this point, he loved Peter more. When it came down to it, at this point, it's gonna be my life, or claiming to be his followers, then I will save my life. Do you think he regretted that? Do you think that for the rest of his life that he wished he could go back and redo that? See, I'm speaking a language to you right now that you know what I'm saying. Every single one of us have got that, man, if I just had a do-over. Man, I would undo that. I would stay away from that fire. I would not go where they went. After their death, burial, and resurrection, Peter and the disciples, Peter stands up, says, so, I'm going fishing. All the rest of the disciples, they were good men. They want to go fishing too they went out and they went fishing so they fished all night long and they caught nothing you ever done that unless i fished all day long not caught nothing I've done it many times but I'm asking you this so have you ever striven and worked and worked and worked and caught nothing there's nothing coming in there's nothing coming in the boat let me tell you something And fishing is called a grind and your life is called a grind. Sometimes you're grinding it out, and there's nothing coming in the boat, and you just keep on grinding, and you keep on grinding, and nothing is happening. Jesus comes walking up on the shore, and he says, "Hey boys, do I call <laughs> Why don't caught anything. Once not you throw your nets out on the other side of the boat?" A little instruction, a command, and they obeyed. it on the other side of the boat. You know how the story goes? So many fish they started ripping the net. They couldn't bring them in. John steps back, hits, no doubt hits the boat and looks up there. and That's the Lord. <laughs> and when Peter heard that, man, he grabbed his jacket, put his jacket on. He jumped in. He swam to the shore. And it was because he loved him. And it was because his heart was broken because of what he had done. And I can just see Peter, Peter coming up there on the shore, he's all wet and everything. He gets there, and it's like oh, oh, oh. And I'd be like, okay, Peter, what you gonna do now? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus has got a fire going. The last fire Peter was around was a fire of regret. Man, I want to do over. Jesus says, Y'all come and y'all have breakfast, and they sit down and they're having breakfast, and Jesus asked Peter the most important question. He didn't ask Peter, what do you think theologically about me? He didn't say, how much of the Torah have you got memorized? He didn't say, how good of a person are you? He said, Peter, do you love me? Because that's the most important thing. That's the issue that's on the table. It's not about what you've done and you haven't done. It isn't about how bad of a mistake you made. It's about, do you love me? Peter said, you know all things, Lord. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And he asked him three times. Why is it important that he asked three times? Because it was three denials, wasn't it? Is this a do-over? That's not a do-over. But it's forgiveness for his greatest mistake. Because the most important thing isn't that, oh, you messed up, Peter. I mean, he didn't stand up and slap Peter across the face and turn around and kick him in the rear and say, get out of here. Everyone see your face around here again. You are not worthy. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, do you love me? And when he gets down, if you read all the way through chapter 21, he gets down to the very end, and everything at the very end, you know what he says to him? He says, follow me. The same thing he said on the first day they met, it still stands follow me? Do you love me? That's the question that's being asked. Do you love me? So why do we want our love to grow? Why do we need that? Because that's the issue that's on the table for us. That's what it comes down to. Would you please stand? what's God been saying to you this morning? See, I don't know what God's been saying to you. Only you know that. The most important thing, though, is how do I respond whenever I know that God is saying something to me? How do I respond in that moment? That is the most important thing. You know, Peter gave a great answer. He said, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter had, in, that, in his relationship with Jesus, he was getting to the point to where he knew he could no longer educate Jesus. So God doesn't need us to educate him. Pete, listen, Jesus doesn't need us to educate him. What we need to do is just to realize that God, he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. He knows my heart better than I know my own heart. He knows why I've been grinding all night long and there's nothing coming in the boat. And it may just be that the command is coming to throw on the other side of the boat. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Maybe life for you right now has got turned upside down and inside out. And maybe you're getting your circumstances mixed up with the goodness of God. I mean, if you are, can you pray something like this? So God, help me to separate my circumstances from your goodness. Help me to see the difference between the two. So that day whenever Peter sat down and he looked at that fire and he smelled the smell of that fire, no doubt it reminded him of the fire of denial. There's no doubt that when he looked across that fire and he looked into the eyes of Jesus, into the most innocent man's eyes he had ever known, when he remembered what he did, it must have been crushing to his heart. But I want you to hear the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? So God, I realize that my greatest need is that you would fill my heart with a desire to love you more. To love you more than these. And these could be family, these could be job, anything else other than Jesus. My greatest need is to love you supremely, O God. Jesus. You are my Savior. Can you say that? You are my Lord. You are my God. Have you been born again? Have you been renewed from the inside out? So if you have, we're about to take communion. And if you've never been saved, communion is for only those who have been saved, for those who are in Christ. So right now, let's search our hearts, make sure that we're in Christ, first of all. So if you're here today and you say, I know that I'm in Christ, I know that I'm saved. To make sure that there is, everything is good between you and God. If there's any sins you need to confess and ask God to grant you repentance of, now is the time to do it. If there's unforgiveness between you and somebody else in the body of Christ, you might want to wait wait and hold off on taking communion until you get that right. Until you come to peace with that, that you've done everything you can to make that right, and you can't reconcile it from your end. let's go ahead and take communion, so someone from each family, come get the elements. So i to read a few scriptures before we get started this morning. Paul writing the church at Corinth says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and open up. So I want you to take a moment, look at, the, look at the bread. Think of what this represents. It represents the body of Christ broken for your sins so that you can be forgiven. So we remember the goodness of God and the sacrifice of Jesus this morning. We remember that we're under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. covers our greatest regrets. The Bible says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. So if you feel comfortable, you can pray with me. So dear Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection. You are my God, my Savior, my Lord, and my King. Let's take an eating face. So looking at the screen, in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, he said, "This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." I'm asked several times, I've been asked why we do this every week. We went verse by verse to the Book of Acts, and every time the church came together and what they referred to as the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, Resurrection Day. The Bible says that they broke bread. They had communion. They remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the new covenant. So, I mean, this juice right here, it is not just a symbol. It is symbolic of the blood. But it's more than a symbol. This doesn't become the literal blood of Christ. But it's something between the two where it's not just a symbol and it's not the blood of Christ. There's a mystery between the two, and that's what it is. It's a mystery. There's something supernatural in this. I don't know. But when we do this and we come together and we commune with the Lord, there's something very special and wonderful and supernatural as we come to the table of the Lord. So this is why we do this every week out of honor to Him. So I want you to look at that juice. I'm going to ask you a question as you look at that. How thankful are you that your greatest regret is forgiven? That it comes under the atonement of the blood of Jesus. That it's totally wiped away on your account. It's clean. God will never hold that against you. Even if you hold it against yourself, he would never do that. What a wonderful promise that is as you look at that. Have you accepted that? Do you believe that? Ah, what a wonderful truth that is. That is the new covenant. So, if you feel comfortable, you can pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the atonement. You're my God, you're my Lord. You're my king, and you are my savior. Let's drink in faith, church. Let's all stand. I hope that you have been enjoying our journey as we've been going through Exodus. We will take a one week break next week out of Exodus. Parker, our student director, is gonna be preaching next Sunday. So, I get, a, I get to step off the track for one lap, pass it over to Parker, let him do a lap, and me get ready to finish out the rest of the year all the way to Christmas. Speaking of Christmas, I don't know if you realize this, but Christmas, December the 25th, falls on Sunday. Okay? So, Christmas is not your birthday. Maybe it is. Maybe you got 25th, maybe it is your birthday. I don't know, gonna take that back. <laughs> Maybe it is. But primarily, that's when we celebrate the birth of Christ. So, we will have church. However, it's going to be different. We will not be having childcare or anything. It will be family, church together. So, all the kids, all the babies, everything will all be in here together having church together. So, that being said, it may be a little bit shorter. (laughs) The elders asked me not to preach from Exodus on I mean... It could be a great opportunity. We'll be in the plagues. I thought it would be great. But anyway. So anyway, looking forward to celebrate. We'll have the candlelight service the night before 5 p.m. And if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, if you don't go to church, they will lose. So you got to be in church. I'm joking, kind of. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, this has been good. So my, my, what I'm asking you to do, let's pray for Parker this coming week. Um, here's the thing that happens is when I pass that baton on to somebody else and they make that trip around the track and they get ready to preach, there's always warfare that they come up against. So we want to make sure that we cover Parker in prayer this week, Parker's family, and Parker's heart. Because the most important thing, and Parker knows this, is not that he preaches a good sermon next Sunday. We're not looking for good sermons The most important thing is that Parker's heart is right when he gets here next Sunday and that God can do what only God can do. So God, we thank you today. What a wonderful privilege it is to come together to worship you. God, I pray for this coming week. God, I thank you that Parker is going to take the baton and he'll make a loop around the track this week. God, we pray as he does that you would cover him, Nikki and their three girls, that you would just build shields and hedges of protection around them and that nothing would get through to Parker's life that's not ordained of you. And God, we know that whatever get, does happen with Parker this week, and if he's positioned right in Christ, then it is ordained of you and that it was something to prepare his heart to be ready for Sunday morning. And God, we pray that as we all come back here next Sunday morning, that our hearts will be tuned into you. And God, that we will hear what you want us to hear next Sunday morning. And God, between now and then, for those of us who are grinding, God, give us strength for the grind. For those of us who need to throw our nets on the other side of the boat, then we pray that you would command us to show us, oh God. God, we pray that you stir our affections for you, that we would fall more deeply in love with you this week.